Good afternoon, good evening, I'm Dove Tuzman, and you are in for something special on this episode of Equal Footing. We're going to be talking about the psychedelic renaissance. I never thought that I would have gone down the rabbit hole on this this area. I have not done many drugs in my life. Uh, all of the traditional psychedelics that we'll get into, uh, MDMA, the active ingredient in, in ecstasy, uh, uh, mushrooms, uh, LSD, etc., not been a part of my life experience. I've had a little bit through ayahuasca, which I'll probably get to at some point in the program, but the genesis of this program is suggested by a good friend who is in the field of psychology and turned me on to this burgeoning field of psychedelic therapeutics. It is actually now widely accepted in the psychological and academic community that psychedelic psychoactive substances can be used not just for mystical slash religious experience, which I'm sure we'll touch on in the show, but for uh, mental health and physical health treatment. And this is no longer a wackadoodle fringe. This is not something that uh, I'm making up, you know, in, in the, in the research for this show, I was just cramming trying to understand this field more. And there's a plethora of studies going back to the 1950s, places like Johns Hopkins, Harvard, uh, Columbia, etc., cetera, uh, the Pew Research Institute, multi-decade studies on the use of psychedelic substances in the therapeutic realm. And I'm going to turn it over to some experts on the show to get us into this topic. Terrific panel tonight on Equal Footing. Let's start by introducing Dr. Mike Dow. And I'm calling him Dr. Mike instead of Dr. Michael because that's what his uh, nom de guerre is. Dr. Mike is a psychotherapist and New York Times best-selling author. He's written seven books on this subject, including The Brain Fog Fix and Your Subconscious Brain Can Change Your Life. Mike makes regular appearances as the go-to mental health expert on Dr. Oz and the show The Doctors. Dr. Mike is certified in ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. We're going to get into what ketamine is. Hypnosis. He's also completed uh, professional residency programs at the Betty Ford Center. He has a master's in marriage and family therapy, a doctorate in psychology, and a second doctorate in clinical sexology. Dr. Mike is a graduate of the University of South Southern California, where he was a presidential scholar. Dr. Mike, welcome to Equal Footing. And hopefully we've got you, Dr. Mike. Are you there? So much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, glad to have you on the program. Okay, we've got the audio sorted. We're also joined by Matt Emmer. And and my understanding is Dr. Mike and Matt have actually worked in this realm before, so you guys knew each other uh, before this program. Matt is the VP of Healthcare Practice at Field Trip Health. Field Trip Health is a really interesting company, and we'll get to in the program. He's also co-founder of the Psychia Institute, that's spelled P-S-Y-K-I-A, which works to advance frameworks around integrative 
holotropic therapies. There's a whole bunch of words on this program where my mush mouth is going to come through. Prior to joining Field Trip, Matt, Matt was vice president at HNA Capital, where he executed principal investments and helped establish their uh, charity foundation as well. He spent time as an investment banker, not what I expected, Matt, when I was going to get into your bio, at Bank of America Merrill Lynch and Deutsche Bank. And he received his uh, bachelor's in applied mathematics. I also studied applied math, Matt, at UCLA and completed the executive education program at Columbia Business School. And Matt's personal exploration of plant medicines and consciousness sparked his passion to help share these healing modalities in safe and empowering settings. So, Matt, welcome to Equal Footing in our discussion on the psychedelic renaissance. It's wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me on. We're also joined by Alana Miller, and Alana's going to give us a little bit of a different perspective because there are limits to uh, the studies that are out there, our understanding of these modalities, and we need a uh, maybe a grounding voice here to, to, to make sure that we understand the risks involved. Alana is a graduate of the American Jewish University in Bel Air, California. She's currently earning her doctorate in clinical psychology. In 2019, Alana founded the Forever Project, which is a grassroots organization dedicated to bringing alternative and complementary medicine to those who otherwise would not have access to these modalities. And one of the things we're going to get to as well is the how expensive a lot of this stuff is. Uh, she is active in the decriminalization movement as an and is an advocate of PAP. And this is psychedelic assisted. Uh, therapies or modalities, you're going to hear these, um, these, uh, these acronyms on the show. She sits on the Libertarian Psychedelic Caucus and is a member of the Graduate Student Association for Psychedelic Studies. And Alana incorporates sacred plants as part of her own personal wellness practice and believes that psychedelic assisted therapies are absolutely the next wave of mental health treatment. Uh, however, Alana believes there are some healthy criticisms of these practices that deserve meaningful discussion. So welcome, Alana, to our discussion. Hi, Doug. Thank you for having me. Let's get right into it for listeners that might not be not understand you know, really the limits of what we're talking about here. We're not having a program about just, you know, what it is to get stoned. This is a, a serious discussion around therapeutic modalities. Matt, maybe you could kick us off with a, a quick primary here. Uh, psilocybin and mushrooms and MDMA, ecstasy, uh, cannabis. What, what should we, when we think about psychedelic uh, and psychoactive substances, active ingredients, and their, say, street names, what are we talking about here? Right. So the family of substances we're largely talking about here, the traditional psychedelics, uh, being psilocybin, which is the active ingredient in magic mushrooms or psychoactive mushrooms. Uh, you also have LSD, uh, which many people have heard of. Uh, DMT is less... LSD, otherwise, is, is also known as acid. Is that right, LSD? Also acid, correct. Okay. Um, also known as acid. And then DMT, which is the active ingredient in ayahuasca, uh, which you mentioned you have some familiarity working with. Uh, in addition to those traditional psychedelics, 
um, other. Can I can I do a little parenthetical, Matt? Yeah. There, sorry for for our Orthodox Jewish listeners. You might get a kick out of the fact that DMT is also activated by acacia wood, which is in the holy of holy, the holiest of holies, and archaeologically we know is in a number of different uh, biblical sites and was actually part of our as a Jew part of our original kind of our, our origin story uh, and experiences the psychoactive substance of DMT which I learned in my in my research for the show fascinating and if anyone wants to take a deeper dive there's a recent book called the immortality keys that recently was released that really traces back how psychedelics may have been um, the inspiration or part of a lot of uh, religious and spiritual practices uh, dating back um, thousands, even thousands of years. So I interrupted you. Are there other substances? We've got yes. psilocybin, um, psilocybin and, and MDMA. MDMA, okay. Right, MDMA, also known as ecstasy. Uh, there's a group uh, known as MAPS, or the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies, which has been using uh, MDMA uh, to treat PTSD, um, largely in veterans. Uh, and then there's also ketamine, uh, which has a long history as an anesthetic and is used in hospitals and operating rooms all over the world. Uh, but more recently, it's been found that in lower doses, uh, it's actually an effective antidepressant. Uh, and when used in conjunction with psychotherapy, it can be used to treat anxiety, uh, trauma, uh, and a range of other uh, disorders, including substance use disorder, um, eating disorders, among others. So out of the box, are, what about uh, cannabis, uh, cocaine, these other psychoactive substances? That, that's not part of this discussion, is that correct? Yeah, definitely not cocaine. Um, some have mentioned how cannabis can have psychedelic qualities, but it really cannabis really isn't included in the family of psychedelics, at least uh, when looking at psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy. Okay, so Dr. Mike, this is not a new field. There, were, there was a lot of 20th century research going on dating back to the 1950s. In fact, there were pretty serious hearings in in Congress in the 1960s, Allen Ginsberg testified Congress about LSD and, you know, these, there were Ram Dass, for example, the, 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 uh, uh, kind of Eastern, uh, associated with the Eastern meditation movement in the United States. His original name is Richard Alpert. He was a professor at Harvard in psychology and was involved in some of these initial studies with you know, former professor Timothy Leary. So, so there, this goes back, you know, 60, 70 years. Dr. Mike, is it, at this point, is there a consensus that there's a therapeutic role for these substances, or is that still subject to debate? Well, I'm, I'm definitely on the pro side, but uh, there is definitely still a bit of a debate on this topic. It is a bit controversial, but I would also say that the, the breakthrough status of the research studies, you know, it's very hard for medication to, to be designated with breakthrough status. And if any of the listeners uh, of this program remember that revolution, the cultural revolution of the hippies, it was sort of this um, political, social, but also medical movement, right? So there was so much uh, great research going on at that time, but then, of course, 
it sort of got out and, and then people were, were using acid recreationally. And, and then, of course, the government got involved and then we had the war on drugs. So now this is a really exciting time. So, you know, in 2020, uh, approximately, ketamine uh, was discovered as a really potent antidepressant. Um, we are now very close uh, in 2023. Psilocybin will be legal um, in one state for assisted psychotherapy. Psilocybin, again, Oregon. being the active ingredient in mushrooms. Correct. And then um, currently in clinical trials in the U.S., MDMA, which is the same active ingredient but very different than the street drug ecstasy or molly um, being very successful. So probably in the next couple of years, we're going to have MDMA and psilocybin, again, uh, mushroom-assisted psychotherapy legal here. It is already legal in Amsterdam, and I know Field Trip, um, the Field Trip Health Amsterdam Clinic is already doing that work there. But today in the U.S., in all 50 states, you can – be prescribed ketamine off-label for treatment-resistant depression, so using it for this psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy. So we really are in a renaissance, and there are cultural, religious implications for this, so it is it is really an exciting time. Alana, what are the naysayers saying right now? What, what's, the, what's the argument against decriminalization, in fact, the acceptance uh, of therapeutic use regulatorily in certain jurisdictions? That is a great question. So um, as Matt and I talked about, this is a, a renaissance or a reemerging of science. And up until recently, all of these substances were considered taboo. And even in the therapeutic community, there is still a stigma connected to psychedelics in the sense that um, I've heard therapists recently today um, advising their clients not to go down these paths, not to take these therapeutic routes because they're afraid of it's going to worsen depression, it's going to bring about psychoses, um, it's going to um, interact poorly, and it's still a lens of it's a drug, it's a street drug, being able to see that nuance between the therapeutic effects of MDMA is seen much differently than ecstasy. So before we go to our first break, Dr. Mike, walk us through exactly the conditions, whether they're, uh, whether it's physical conditions, mood disorders, personality disorders, what are the conditions that these, that some of these psychoactive substances are kind of prescribed for, for, for lack of a, of a better way of putting it? So ketamine-assisted psychotherapy, you're going to find the most research and the most convincing research for treatment-resistant depression. Patients who have tried and failed at least two medications to treat depression. MDMA-assisted psychotherapy, you're going to see the most research on uh, PTSD in in MDMA-assisted psychotherapy. And then uh, psilocybin-assisted psychotherapy, you're going to see the most research on end-of-life anxiety or anxiety disorders. That being said, those are the the really strict classifications. In in my experience, there's a lot more um, 
flexibility in how you use these these medicines when combined with psychotherapy. But but those three disorders generally are what we're going to see the most of. Okay. And you will put some of this in the show notes for listeners who are interested, but there's a, a plethora of academic research on this subject, which has led to decriminalization in certain jurisdictions, starting with uh, psilocybin and, and LSD. And Johns Hopkins uh, University and Medical Center is probably the one with the most, with the highest volume of research. So it's easy to find, as you can look up the Johns Hopkins Medical Center Behavioral Biology or Johns Hopkins uh, Psychedelic Research, and you'll see a lot of that, Pew Research Institute as well. And as Dr. Mike just said, a lot of talk with respect to treatment-resistant patients. And Dr. Mike, just for someone who's not au fait with the terminology, that, that basically means that traditional forms of talk therapy or other prescribable drugs have not worked. Correct. So since the invention of Prozac in, in, and the release of Prozac in 86, you know, there's been this shift of, of post-traumatic stress disorder, mood disorders, depressive disorder being treated by that class of medications, the SSRIs like Prozac, Paxil, Lexapro. Uh, but we're seeing that there are a lot of patients with PTSD, depression, anxiety who do not respond. And on some level, I would also argue that these medications are merely masking symptoms that you see on the surface, whereas psychedelic-assisted psychotherapies can help people who do not respond to those traditional antidepressant medications. And I would also argue it goes to the root of the disorder in the first place because our brains, that that organ between your ears, it is the most complex organ and I would argue uh, one of the most fascinating um entities uh, in the universe. So, of course, it is a very complex issue. Yeah, and some of the stuff is endogenous in our in our in our system in our in our body. I mean, you know, the connection between DMT and the pineal gland, for example. And so, it, it it's also I think under, important to to for listeners to acknowledge it. In my getting prepared for the show, I had to. It was like a light bulb moment in understanding that a lot of mental health is treated with drugs. These are drugs that have often been stigmatized or have been discovered through kind of spiritual or mystical experiences. Uh, but the, you know, they're, they're psychoactive substances and drugs in the same way that you're, that, uh, you're taking a, a different type of drug like Prozac or Alprazolam, otherwise known as Xanax, et, et, et cetera. We're going to take a, our first break. We're going to be back talking about the psychedelic renaissance and psychedelic assisted Therapeutics. I am joined by my wonderful guests, esteemed experts in this field, Dr. Mike Dow, Matt Emmer, and Alana Miller. If you want to discuss your personal experiences with psychedelic therapies, you can do so on a non-attributed basis. You don't have to mention your name. If you call in or send in a text, comment, or question, or of course you can say your name and, and uh, give us your point of view on this. And of course we have a lot of religious listeners. In our next segment, we're going to tie that together, some surprising discoveries, at least on my side, with respect to the connection between uh, religious observance and the Abrahamic faiths, at least, and psychedelic substances. I'm joined again by Dr. Mike Dow, Matt Emmer, and Alana Miller talking about psychedel- the psychedelic renaissance and psychedelic-assisted therapies. Call 718-303-9090 to participate live. That's 718 303 9090. We already have our first caller patiently waiting for the next segment or text a question or comment to 917-428-4062. That's 
4062. You can either use text, SMS messaging, or WhatsApp in sending through your message. We'll be right back. Nothing is real. Let's talk about Manhattan Medical, one of our sponsors here on Equal Footing for a moment. Manhattan Medical provides a really important service to men and their partners that are suffering from erectile dysfunction in the relationship. It's often very difficult to talk about, but it affects over half of men in their lifetime and it makes it unable, makes people unable to have enjoyable sex, which is critical to positive and healthy relationships. Manhattan Medical utilizes a new and effective gains wave therapy for erectile dysfunction. It can help achieve excellent results. And importantly, it's available to people that otherwise would not be able to take the existing remedies that often have side effects and are not available to people with certain comorbidities. So no expensive blue pills. The gains wave therapy erectile dysfunction treatment technique from Manhattan Medical is non-invasive, it's surgery-free, and it's painless. So, you know, a lot of our sponsors on Equal Footing have come through personal relationships, and Manhattan Medical was recommended as a sponsor by a dear friend of mine who's in his mid-80s and has had an extraordinary experience after many years of battling with erectile dysfunction. If it can work for him, it can work for you. Call Manhattan Medical. You don't have to be in the New York area. You can do a telehealth consult from anywhere in the United States. The number is 888-EDCURE9. That's 888-EDCURE9 or in numbers 888-332-8739. That's 888-332-8739. Call now. Manhattan Medical's Gains Wave Therapy can help you. I've been caught, but I'm keeping on, keeping on All right, you're back on Equal Footing, and I'm joined by Mike Dow and Matt Emmer and Alana Miller talking about the use of psychedelic substances like MDMA and uh, psilocybin and DMT. Uh, active in, ingredients in, in things that are often referred to as ecstasy or uh, mushrooms or acid in therapeutics for uh, treating depression, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, etc. This is not something on the fringe. This is now in the mainstream of the discussion when it comes to mental health treatment. But I want to, in the second, seg- second segment, tie this in to religious practice and belief. And this actually, guys, in researching for the show, was the most mind-blowing. I wasn't surprised as much that there are proven therapeutic effects in terms of uh, improving people's mood and improving um, altruism and general positivity about life, sustained reduction in depression, even after the active ingredients subside, often the memory of the experience itself in the literature is shown to, to help people. That part I had heard of. In fact, when we sent out the social media blast of the show, I was shocked at how many response I got from people I had no idea had used psychedelic-assisted therapies and said how it was the only therapy that actually ended up working for them to treat their depression. I got like half dozen messages along this along these lines. Here's what surprised me most, and I don't know, guys. Uh, you know, 
I'm not 100% sure of each of your religious affiliations, but it was the connection between psychedelic uh, experiences and religious practices. And I suspect our caller on line four wants to address, address this. But just to preempt that for a second, there's a long-standing connection anthropologically and with religious uh, religious scholars. There's general consensus that there are certain psychedelic substances, and maybe I'm, I'm using the term not incorrectly to refer to cannabis in that case, but the word cannabis, in fact, comes from a Hebrew word originally and was part of the oils that were used in rituals uh, going back thousands of years, DMT, as I, also, as I previously mentioned, uh, was is present in uh, cachia wood, which is often burned in the in the in the temple uh, rituals, and and actually the fasting exercises around like Yom Kippur and other holidays um, can elicit similar psychoactive responses. So, the, and and more recently. You have folks like the late Rabbi Zalman Shachter Shalomi, who was the father of the Jewish Renewal Movement, who did very significant experimentation uh, with psychedelics and uh, LSD in the 60s and 70s. Rebbe Menachem Schneerson, the head of the Chabad Movement, uh, was said to have given kind of his blessing, so to speak, to experimentation in this area. Dr. Mike, you're a pre- you are uh, an administrator of, this, of these techniques. Where is the demarcation line between the spiritual and mystical and the medicinal or therapeutic, or does it matter? Well, you know, what's I think really, really fascinating is that traditional psychiatry would have a very clear line between this is the medical treatment for this mental illness versus psychedelic-assisted psychotherapies in which, you know, I personally, I, I can tell you so many anecdotes and so many personal stories of patients that I've treated who have these very mystical experiences, communing with God. And isn't it so fascinating that in every major religion there are these practices from fasting, um, chanting, using some sort of, of swaying techniques of, of incense or this just this group practice. Um, in, the, in ancient Egypt, they had these sleep caves. Um, so you, you, you look at how, how essential these non-ordinary or altered states of consciousness are to religion. And, you know, I personally believe that you can't treat a person without treating the whole person, and that includes their spiritual and religious life. So if you are somebody who if that is very important to your spiritual and religious life, I personally, and some of my colleagues are going to disagree with me, I am sure, but I personally believe that we have to integrate that that part of the self into the treatment. So, Alana, do you do you see a, a tension there between what what Dr. Mike is is referring to in terms of the the mystical experience and the therapeutic <laughs> element? Do you, do you think there's a danger in those things kind of getting mixed up? Should we be should we be claiming you know, kind of creating clearer demarcation? I don't, I know that there are some practitioners who would view it as this is medicine and we're only going to look at, at it through the clinical lens. And one of my concerns with the advancement of psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy is that we sanitize it to make it too clinical. And that's some of the things that I'm seeing popping up. Um, For example, ketamine is um, becoming more popular and more mainstream as a treatment for these um, resistant 
mental health disorders and you have um, MDs or psychiatrists just looking at that clinical lens and just looking strictly through the that scientific approach. And there is a huge wealth of, of wellness that we're missing by stepping away from that spiritual practice to make it too clinical. And those two need to dance together and us as um, this field moves forward, establish a baseline of how we can get science and spirituality working together for that total person. So, Matt, you, you, the field trip is is organized, I imagine, for folks that, well, I don't know, is field trip organized for the the person who's looking for mental health treatment, or is it organized for the person that's looking for a mystical religious experience? It's organized for mental health treatment, but alongside that, we've also had clients come through who have actually mentioned that they understand the spiritual side of psychedelic medicine and have actually mentioned that part of their treatment, in addition to working on their depression or anxiety, they'd also like to reconnect or foster a connection with a spiritual practice. Uh, so it's focused on medical treatment, but there are other people who find, I think, spiritual benefit from their treatment experience at Field Trip. So, Dr. Mike, you've, you've administered this, these experiences with Field Trip for someone who's never done it before, and I've barely done it. My dad's been into ayahuasca off and on for a long time, and once I went through an ayahuasca ceremony with him, and it was really challenging. <laughs> I, I, uh, I felt very, very sick, and it, 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 I didn't feel a, uh, I didn't have like a breakthrough mystical experience. I had a miserable experience, but I, maybe I didn't have the right guide, which I know is incredibly important. For someone that has either dabbled or never experienced this, how does it work? Bring it down to the, the granular level. What, what do you do with the client? So what's different than most ayahuasca ceremonies is you are going to be surrounded by medical and mental health professionals. So if you walk into an office at field trip, uh, you're going to be put in a treatment room. Your The medical staff will come in quickly. Um, and, of course, you have a med clearance session before. Uh, but the day of your first treatment, uh, blood pressure is taken, and then a really quick intramuscular dose of ketamine is given. Uh, you're going to be in a zero-gravity chair with eye shades on, and we have these curated playlists. And you're going to be in a room with me for roughly two hours. And it's probably everything that you thought psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy could be, but also nothing that you thought it was going to be. It is, all right, it is beyond words. It, you know, so you can read all of the New York Times, Washington Post articles. You can read all the literature. But until you actually have that experience, and I can tell you one thing that happened to me with a patient just a couple weeks ago who had tried probably 15 to 20 antidepressants inpatient, intensive outpatient, and nothing was working. And at the end of our first session, when he was sort of what we call the reentry, so you're sort of coming back to yourself, he just looked at me and he said, gosh, I don't think I'm suicidal anymore. And, and that, to me, is, is the million-dollar takeaway of, of that's why this, this medicine can be so very powerful. And what happened? Um, we see that what happened for that person in the brain, like at the brain chemistry level. Why would why did that person overcome suicidal ideation? As as your perspective so as, a, as a medical doctor. 
Yeah, so, so I'm a psychologist, so I'm a PhD, not an MD, but, you know, I, I, do, I do a lot of this, uh, uh, this studying on, on what is actually happening. So it's a, it's a neurotransmitter called glutamate that surges in the brain, and that's a very different neurotransmitter, neurotransmitter system than a lot of the other psychedelics. And by the way, um, than most of the traditional psychiatry practice of how do we treat this, right? So they're usually working at the serotonin receptor or perhaps the dopamine receptor. Um, so on a physiological level, we see this downstream effect of not just glutamate, but also serotonin and dopamine and GABA that actually leads to a really rapid increase in mood. But I also feel like that's only half the battle, that 50% of this is also the the mystical experience, the, all the things that you do read about in the studies, the feeling uh, of oneness and consciousness and all living beings are connected. So when you have that purpose that maybe you find at, um, in your religious practice, in a temple, at a church, what if you had something that was profound where you're not sort of talking to God but being with God uh, is how some of the, the patients that I've treated put it, right? So you are actually feeling God, not talking about him. So for a lot of people, that in and of itself can take away some of the suicidal ideation. And by the way, we see that in the literature, that the majority of patients with suicidal ideation within one dose of ketamine within four hours will say that the suicidal thoughts go away. Isn't that incredible? We don't have anything in mental health that works like that. So to me, it's just absolutely remarkable. Yeah, and researching for the show, I, you know, you, you continually come across the Johns Hopkins work that's been done, and 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 the there was a release of a, a long-term study in 2016 on on psilocybin, which is the active ingredient, as I understand it, in in mushrooms and its effect on depression. And as, as what I it, I'm obviously a, a parvenu when it comes to this stuff, but as I was reading it, I was fascinated by the fact that as many as a third of people that are receiving treatments, both um, drug treatment and talk therapy are treatment resistant in other treatment modalities uh, when it comes to depression and and often in a majority of cases almost two-thirds of cases react uh, in a positive way to, to, to psilocybin uh, the other thing that was interesting on that front dr. Mike was and I, I want to test whether I have this right that uh, that in other cases of traditional drugs you have to continue to take the drug to have the effect, whereas the Johns Hopkins study seems to demonstrate that in in the, at least the application of psilocybin, you can have an experience, a trip, so to speak, to say it colloquially, and then even after the substance is no longer chemically present in your system, because it can be gone in a matter of, of eight hours max or whatever, that you... You, it still has an antidepressive effect through the memory of the experience. That to me was fascinating. Do I have, do I have that? Did I interpret that wrong? No, that is correct. The memory, but also the neuroplasticity. So when you have increased connections in the brain, in many ways, depression is sort of like having a stroke in that you do get a decrease in connections. You do see a a volume loss in the hippocampus, which most people associate with mood, but it also has a profound, uh, I'm sorry, memory, but it also has a profound effect on mood. So, yes, that, I believe, is the reason that people come to me at Field Trip because they don't want to take their SSRI or their Benzo every single day. And, by the way, you know, I remember this great New York Times article a few years ago that said, here's the dirty secret. Antidepressants are really hard to start. 
and they're really hard to stop, and you have to take them daily. Um, so there are a lot of people who experience a lot of those side effects, and the risk versus benefit really does have to be considered uh, for a lot of these drugs. Right. So, Matt, neuroplasticity has already come up a couple times this, this conversation. Define that for the layman. Yeah, neuroplasticity really um, describes the physiological effect of actually creating new connections in the brain. So neurons or parts of the brain that may not be firing together or communicating start communicating in ways that they haven't before. And this isn't only psychological, but it's physical in terms of actual seeing that, seeing that physical growth. Uh, but in addition to the physical effects, uh, the psychological effects also result in that increased communication, which means that you can have an increase in mood, an increase in creativity, uh, and an overall increase in brain functioning. Gotcha. Let's let's take a caller here, and we. Had, I just want to let listeners know we have had an issue with the online link. Uh, there are app alternatives, and you can also go to uh, the ags.net uh, site, which allows you to listen to. Uh, radio uh, uh, online if if your talk line network link is is down. All right, uh, caller on line five, you're on the air. Yes, good evening, Dove. This is Stan. Hi, Stan. Uh, Dove, I got to ask t- two things. One, how old are these people? What is the age of the doctor and the other doctor and the woman? It's important to this conversation. Okay, let's go around the room. Dr. Mike, Matt, and Alana, if you don't mind disclosing. Forty-two. Thirty-six. Forty. Okay. So okay. 40. Uh, what do they all have in common? It's simple. They haven't lived in the 1960s. They haven't a clue. They study papers. They haven't a clue what LSD did, what psychedelic drugs did, and so forth. The idea to say that it, by taking these you'll get a greater religious experience with a God is a hoax, is a phony. To make any statement, I'm surprised you're even doing this show. You know, we, you know, we started with marijuana on a, initially for doctor's reasons, some patients needed. I was good for that and that needed. And now we have large marijuana and the place that a lot of drug is getting worse with marijuana. How can you have these people even on the air? And considering the drug problem in this country, and the fact that uh, they mention it's on a very, it, it, it's a new era of, of psychedelic. Uh, do you know anything about history? What well, what, what it's a, it's to- a valid, valid, valid point. I, I want to get into these points. But what, do you have a specific question or do you want me to interpret your I comment? I have nothing, you know, uh, why are you people even doing this thing? <laughs> I mean, Timothy Leary, you know, was smart and he wasn't smart. In the end, I heard him say, I made a mistake. Uh, he was still, you know, with this stuff. So yeah, for listeners, who I don't know what aware, you're doing. Tim- Timothy Leary was a, a, a Harvard professor, as I understand. Yeah, he's the guy that got all of it. He's the father of all this garbage. Yeah, arguably, he's one of the early um, practitioners. Well, he was, who was, he was, in the he was the public realm. relations yeah. voice. He was right. the voice. Yeah. One of them. But yeah. It, 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 I, I don't have a. I'm, I'm wondering why you're even doing this topic. Well, I'm putting it into religious aspects. Please, why? Well, Stan, I, I want. I'm glad you brought up the religious aspect. But to be fair to our panelists, I'm the one who threw in the religious aspect, and there is a lot. And I wanted. It was, I got to be honest with you, Dove. Dove, I don't want to. The 1960s are gone. I don't want to be fair. It was terrible. On drugs, I don't want to be fair. 
I'm sorry. Well, you know, now, what, I, I, I understand what you're saying. But you know what, ahead. Stan? You bring up a really good point, and and I tried to get it at the outset of the show, but I don't think I get it. Did a good job of of historical <laughs> context. It, it's that actually you're right that it was it was an exaggerated. It, there was an extreme of of kind of quick acceptance and use in the '60s, and and Timothy Leary and uh, Allen Ginsberg and and uh, Richard Alpert and others were part of that. And there and then a lot of that academic research did stop in the '60s and '70s because of the recreational use and and the damage. But to be equally fair, Stan, and the reason why this this show was was partially entitled the Psychedelic Renaissance. If you look, if you do the research, there has been a renaissance of a much more controlled usage in microdosage and in and in um, therapeutically managed settings. Controlled has always been with marijuana too. Uh, it was controlled. And we're bringing it back to doctors. But, now it's but legalized. Stan, but Stan, it's Mar- marijuana, but marijuana helps cancer patients in the dying I, I agree with. I'm not arguing that point. Well, I think, but that's let's what this show. Recreational. But that's let's what this show is trying to bring to, to to light. Is that there? There, you're now starting to see uh, positive results from. Studies in, in limited form. In limited okay. form. Well, Alana, you know, I have a feeling there's elements of what Stan's saying that you might actually agree with. So help us take, you know, and I suspect Stan is representative of a lot of listeners right now. I'd say majority help, of Americans. Yeah, you're probably right. I agree. And you know what? Before I did the research, and I'm for not this, conservative either. I'm not yeah, conservative. No, I'm I know. You're, 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 <laughs> I, you might even be a libertarian. You have very diverse. No, views. not libertarian, but I'm liberal on many things. Right. Drugs never have yeah. been. So it's I, always a danger. So I empathize anyway. with you, Stan, because when I was got into doing the research for the show, I was probably a little bit more in a camp that you're in, and then I was really affected by what I read in terms of the positive effect on uh, people's mood, treating uh, long-term chronic depression, suicidal ideation. It makes them high. So it makes to feel better, though. But long-term. That's what it Not just when they're high, but long-term. Anyway, Alana, let's assume for a moment that Stan is representative of a lot of our listeners. Um, and I know you have, you have, you know, a certain degree of, 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 of cynicism or you're cautious around the implementation of these modalities. Can you, can you help us work through why this show merits being done and why we merit, we, it merits to actually think about this stuff? I will, and I will absolutely. So I agree that there is this stigma that still exists today regarding um, what is a drug experience. It's just a drug experience, you know, acid, LSD. Is there really a therapeutic effect to this? Is there a therapeutic effect to dropping mushrooms and going on a trip? And I think that's where I was mentioning earlier about trying to merge some of these historical spiritual practices, you know, that comes out of, like, the tribes um, per using ayahuasca as their spiritual ceremonies and their years of practice with science. It goes back to what in psychology we're calling set and setting, and that's just a big fancy word for what environment are we using these psychedelics? Because there's one experience when you're using ecstasy at a rave. It's in this relatively non-controlled environment, usually not regulated, regulated. You're usually not aware of the consistency, the dosage of what you're taking. And we can agree, even on a layman's term, that that's just purely a drug experience. That's just getting high. What we want to do when talking about psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy is 
focus our vision on the therapeutic benefits. So one thing to go into a doctor's office, have a ketamine treatment, or work with a journey guide and use mushrooms or DMT to have some kind of profound experience that has mental health benefit. But if we don't um, include all the therapeutic aspects of it, which is I'm a big proponent of integration therapy, which is basically taking that experience and what lessons did you learn? Mm-hmm. You have, I've, I've utilized um, psychedelics and I've talked to different deities that were not part of the religion that I grew up in and practiced and, you know, had these very profound oneness consciousness experiences. But what does that mean to my mental health in my everyday life? That's a great experience, but how does we make it therapeutic? And I really believe that comes into the psychotherapy aspect, which we call integration in the field, where we now have to continue doing the work in absence of this substance. Because what Stan's saying yeah, is you know, that... One way people- for a, a layperson to understand that, and I remember this from one of our pregame discussions on the show, regarding the show, is if you, like, say you have a, a shoulder impingement and you need to get a cortisone shot, you know, you, you don't just get the cortisone shot and then never talk to a, a medical professional again. You then have to do physical therapy afterwards to make sure you, you're strengthening muscles, you're doing range of motion stuff, et cetera. So as I understand it, Alana, correct me if I'm wrong, the integration therapy is, okay, you have that psychedelic experience that is in, in a therapeutic setting with a, with a, a skilled guide. And then afterwards, you you continue to do what I would say tradition, you know, traditional therapy, whether it be you know talk therapy or talking about the experience and applying it to your your mental health and circumstance. And if you're, if I understand it correctly, if you don't do that that post experience therapy, then it can be just kind of getting high. It, you don't, you're not integrating that meaningfully into into your into your mental health and your life perspective. Exactly right on. And the other piece that I'll add is that. Um, and I'm sure we'll touch on this later in the show, is accessibility to some of these therapeutic treatments is there is a boom. There is a lot of talk about the benefits of psychedelics. So individuals who can't afford these these well-thought-out treatments that um, Mike and Matt are providing at their various organizations is they're going to the street drug to try to administer that themselves. They're, they're taking the acid in hopes to have the same benefit that they would in a more therapeutic environment. And that is a level of caution. And I think that's what your caller was talking about, like, is we need to be mindful of our messaging as we establish the foundation of care for this next level of therapy. All right. A really interesting discussion on the psychedelic renaissance. Just hold it up for a second. We're going to have to take our last uh, ad break. We'll be back on on the air momentarily uh, with Dr. Mike Dow, Matt Emmer, and Alana Miller talking about psychedelic-assisted therapies. There's a renaissance going on in this uh, field. We'll take a couple of other text comments, and you can call into 718-303-9090 to participate in the conversation. We'll be right back.
Equal Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. Back on Equal Footing, I'm Dove Tuzman here with my guests, Dr. Mike Dow, Matt Emmer, and Alana Miller, talking about the psychedelic renaissance and the application of psychedelic substances to therapeutic modalities. I wish we had like another hour. <laughs> this is a fascinating topic. I think it was you, Matt, that I interrupted before the break. Uh, no, I think it was me. It's, uh, it's oh, Mike. Go ahead. So I, I just want to sort of directly uh, respond to the gentleman caller. And, and say, you know, you know, he was asking our age and saying, you know, well, you don't remember uh, the 60s. Uh, I would also say to him that he probably has never experienced debilitating depression or PTSD. So as somebody who has treated thousands and thousands of these patients, unless you've actually seen the devastation that these mental illnesses cause, and we're talking about people who tried everything and still lose a will to live. It's hard to get out of bed. Sometimes it does, you know, make no mistake, they can lose their faith because if you don't feel good, if you don't feel like you have a will to live and you feel so hopeless, does that make you question your faith? Of course it does. And when you see the lights go back on, it's absolutely incredible. I would also say uh, another point. They're doing studies right now using microdosed LSD to treat Alzheimer's disease. Now, dementia Alzheimer's disease, very few treatments other than, oh, okay, let's try to manage this progressive and terminal disease. So if you had a mother or a wife or yourself and you were given this diagnosis and there was a psychedelic that could help, would you take it? I think a lot of people would. Right. So, you know, it's just, it's just really, really interesting, this, 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 this controversy, but I have personally seen every single day the lights go back on and, you know, the, 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 the human life is just so incredible when you can actually live it fully. Yeah. And Dr. Mike, I, I want to, first of all, thank, I want to thank you for that, that very candid response. I also want to thank Stan for his call because as he said, I think it is representative of perhaps a majority of the country. I certainly had um, those types of feelings before I was doing the research for the show. But I want to share with you some of the text messages we've gotten during the show. We've had, um, looks like to me, between 15 and 20 different mess- text messages uh, uh, emphasizing how it was important to their people. People said it's an amazing portal to healing. It was the only thing that worked in treating my depression. 
uh, another uh, person who wrote confidentially about the experience of their child uh, experiencing um, suicidal, debilitating suicidal depression, it being something that worked in a microdosage basis um, in that case. I have several Orthodox listeners who <laughs> have written in on this topic, what I want to get to in a second, on the religious aspect. Is it allowed? Is it not? Um, people say, uh, let's say, I want to read this this particular one that, that, uh, that just came in a couple of minutes ago. Just trying to uh, scroll here from a listener, uh, Christine, who says that, who, who wants to remind listeners that uh, there's a decriminalization movement that's going on in the psychedelic space as well, that psychedelic mushrooms are now used nationwide in the therapeutic environment and have and are now legal in Oregon and other uh, states and in other contexts, and, and brings up also that a number of Silicon Valley corporations, which typically are leaders in new modalities around uh, preventative health, are now encouraging guided trips in therapeutic settings with psychedelics. So, you know, I get it. I get the, the, the resistance, the stigma, resistance and the stigmatization, stigmatization is clear, but I think there is a place for this discussion. Now, very quickly, we also got a lot of texts on the religious side, and, I, and we, because we have limited time, I'm not going to go through quoting all of these, but there is an active debate. debate. And to be fair, I'm going to summarize because we've gotten, uh, you know, seven or eight of these on both sides. There is no... Uh, proscription explicitly against uh, drug use of drugs uh, in in the Jewish faith and and even in other Abrahamic faiths and some listeners have pointed out that during the Jewish high holiday of Purim in fact you're supposed to kind of get in typically done with alcohol but you're supposed to be inebriated which can be interpreted in different ways in the in the in the Hebrew to to the point where you can't distinguish between right and wrong that's part of like the mystical experience of of, of Purim there are several writers who have talked about their experiences on MDMA and uh, psilocybin or, or uh, mushrooms uh, celebrating Purim. And to be fair, there was one Haredi listener uh, who pointed out that it's the effort that matters. So if you're if you're getting to a godlike experience without putting in the effort, getting up to pray when you're tired, when you don't feel like it, etc., and you're and you're not doing it in the natural realm, but through some unnatural or external assistance that kind of doesn't count. I thought that comment was really interesting. I don't want to put my guests in the spot because I know none of you are on the show as religionists, but I thought that that was interesting to to kind of summarize some of these uh, some of these comments that we had we had coming in, Matt. From a business perspective, I, I, we've talked about legalization, decriminalization. We've talked a little bit about the mystical. C- can you um, can you give us a sense of what the business, uh, you, you know, um, where, where's the horizon from a business perspective? And is this a booming is this a booming field? Should listeners get excited about investing in psychedelic therapies? Yeah, no, absolutely. And just one other point I wanted to add on the last question is I think it's worth highlighting that there's no effort underway currently to legalize psychedelics for anyone to go out and buy and consume. Um, All of the efforts, all of the initiatives are to be able to allow trained, licensed professionals to prescribe for very specific, uh, focused, contained uh, purposes and uses. Got it. Uh, And then back to your um, business question, I think there's absolutely a tremendous opportunity. Uh, I've had meetings with uh, investor research analysts recently, uh, and they're 
the word that they use to describe the data and research they're looking at, and these are individuals who research and study um, and analyze multiple pharmaceutical companies out there, is that the results when you look at psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy are unprecedented. Uh, and I think people, when you speak to individuals who have done this work, that's how they feel, right. referencing a lot of the anecdotes that uh, Dr. Mike shared. Uh, and then on the business front, you really have two uh, major themes right now. One is on the drug development side, uh, that because psilocybin and MDMA are Schedule One substances currently, they can't be used medically. Uh, so okay. in order to allow uh, that's if in, in, in layman speak, that's mushrooms and acid, respectively. Uh, mushrooms and ecstasy. Oh, sorry, mushroom and ecstasy. Excuse me. Uh, is they're going through the FDA approval process. Uh, so that's a very expensive, involved process that involves multiple studies to essentially demonstrate their safety and their efficacy, which is that they're effective and that they work, and they work better than other available treatment options that are out there. Uh, so there are a number of companies that are undertaking that process, uh, and then there's other companies that have developed novel drugs, uh, field trip being one of them, uh, that provide a psychedelic experience uh, but aren't one of the existing known psychedelics out there. Uh, so one piece on the business side is the drug development front, and then the other piece is that you know, right now, these experiences, for the most part, are very much limited to these clinical trials and studies, and there are huge waiting lists to get in, and there are far more people who think they could benefit from these treatments than can currently access those studies. Right. Uh, I, th- so I think that's, that one of the, that's one of the points Alana was making. The, the, it, these are right now extremely expensive, not covered by insurance and so forth, so it's kind of like an, an, an opportunity for the elite. Right. So one thing that we're doing at Field Trip is essentially opening centers that allow the everyday person who could potentially benefit to be able to access these healing modalities. And right now, we're offering ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. Uh, And to Alana's point, uh, it is a challenge because with these treatments, you have the medical component and you have the therapeutic side. So you have to have the medical professionals involved, and then you also have the therapy uh, but we're doing uh, multiple things to try to reduce that cost. One example is even um, looking at the precedent that a lot of uh, psychedelics, especially in uh, Latin and South America, um, have been practiced in ceremonial settings, in group settings. Uh, oh, yeah, so there's offering... abundant evidence in the Abrahamic face and in the native traditions of the United States and also in East, Eastern face in India and China of the use of psychedelics in, in religious context and, and, and ceremonies. Sorry for the interruption, Matt, I just, because we're running up on time. So I, I've gotten three different uh, listeners writing in suggesting for others that a book called Drug Use for Grownups uh, by Dr. Carl Hart. So I just want to put that out there because it's coming a few times. And also just want to emphasize how I did, I've, I've never seen this type of kind of um, sharing of personal success when it comes to mental health. I have another listener who just wrote in that it was the only thing that worked for her uh, anxiety. It was microdosage of, uh, of psilocybin, mushrooms. It's like a fog has lifted in my life. Another person talked about a friend who uh, was suicidal and was in rehab for opioid addiction and was given ketamine as a therapeutic while in the facility, which was the only thing that worked. A lot of 
shows around a lot of uh, interest in this. There's also a number of additional listeners have written about there being a massive uh, uh, renewal in the Jewish community of round ritual ceremony involving things like ayahuasca and DMT and so forth. So there's a lot we'll try to put in the show notes, but we're out of time. I really want to uh, appreciate Alana Miller, Matt Emmer, Dr. Mike Dow speaking so openly, openly and vulnerably about psychedelic assisted therapies. Thank you guys for being on equal footing. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. See you next week. I said, hey, sugar, take a walk on the wild side. I said, hey, babe, take a walk on the wild side. <laughs>